time, energy, and effort. I really believe it's important for us to focus on, uh, especially during this season, what He would have us to do and what He would have us to be. And so I appreciate you being here today and, and standing with us and, and working with us and, and opening your heart to hear what God has to say to you today. I want you to do something today. I want, to, I want you to look around at three or four people uh, and just say, God's got a word for you today. I really believe it. Just, just make that declaration. God's got a word for you today. I really do believe that. You see, anytime God's word is spoken, even if it comes through a donkey, it'll work. Amen? I said, even if it comes to a donkey, it'll work. We've just got to open up our ears to hear. And hopefully, I'm a little more than a donkey. I've been accused of being a little stubborn from time to time. Uh, but I think I've got something that'll help you today. So turn in your Bible to two passages of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, which will be our first passage. And then Matthew 24 and 25, you can hold your places there. We're going to talk about the work of the Lord. And as you're turning, let's pray and let's open up our hearts to hear what God is going to say. You see, he's speaking many times. It's not the fact that he's not speaking. It's the fact that we're not hearing. How many of you want your, your spiritual ears to be open to what the Lord is saying today? Father, we thank you that you can open our ears to hear what you are saying. And I thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and has the capacity to pierce and deep down into our heart and change our lives. Lord, you send your word and you heal us. You change us and transform us by the power of your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. We're going to talk about the work of the Lord in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is one of our keynote verses and I want you to read along with me and let's quote it together. Ephesians 2:10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Somebody say good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I would really think it would be cool if you could at least get really close to memorizing this verse this morning. Because this one, I've had it down in my spiritual uh, uh, repertoire for many, many years. And I think it would be a valid and a good thing for you as well. So let's read it out loud together. Ephesians 2.10, what does it say all together? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One more time. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And everyone said, amen. I love what the New Living Translation says uh, about his workmanship. It says we are his masterpiece. I've got a friend in, in Duncanville. Uh, he, he'll greet you. I can guarantee you if he were here today and he introduced himself to you and you introduced yourself to him, he would say, you are God's masterpiece. Uh, so let's follow along with my friend from Duncanville and look at somebody else and say, you are God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. We really are. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works which he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everyone say walk in them. The word, the word uh, workmanship means a product and, and even a fabric, something that was handmade, his masterpiece. God, you're handmade, you're special, you're created in the image of God and in the image of God we are all created and, and Psalms 139 says we're fearfully and wonderfully what? Made, God made us. Even before we were a twinkle in our daddy's eye, God had a plan and he prepared beforehand that we should be here here and not only be here, but that we should walk and move and have our being, if you will, in the good work that he has for us to do. And so let's, let's just open up our hearts to hear what God has to say for us about the work of the Lord. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, you'll discover that everywhere in every way, uh, we realize that God has a good work for us to do. We're not here just to sit soaking 
sour. We're not here just to take up space. We're here to do the work that he has for us. It's a good work. Uh, and so we've got to learn uh, who, who we are in Christ and what the responsibilities we have. You'll find, G- in fact, Jesus, when he was a little boy, if you remember the story, uh, mom and dad got separated from him there. Uh, and so they finally found him there in the, in the religious area with all the teachers. And he was teaching them. He was, uh, some say, probably 13 or less. And uh, they said, what are you doing? He said, don't you know, I must be about what? My father's business. He realized that there was a work for him to do. In fact, uh, I think it's Luke 16. I'm not sure. I'm trying to just reach out and grab some things. He said, uh, you know what? I'm here to finish the work that he has for me. And God has a plan for all of us. And when you look in the New Testament, Paul and different places, he calls us co-laborers together. And so we have a work to do. And we've got to plug into the reality of that. I love what Paul told Timothy in, in verse uh, chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, he's commanding those who are rich. Now, let me pause. We are all rich. I've been around the world, and I can tell you for sure, you are a wealthy man, you're a wealthy woman. You say, well, you don't know uh, uh, my circumstances. Hey, in comparison to the rest of the world, we're all rich. And he said, command those who are rich in this present world. What did he tell them to do? To do good and that they may be rich in good works. God wants us all to be rich in good works. Not just mediocre in good works, but to embrace the purpose of our being. And the purpose of our being, according to Ephesians 2.10, is that we are here to do the work that he's got, got for us. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul hits Timothy again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, when he talks about the word of God and all scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, and let me throw in the woman of God, may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he says, equipped for every good what? Work. The word of God. See, today is an equipping day. Today's not just an amen and day. Today's not just a worshiping day. Today's not just a religious duty day. Today's not just a day off. In fact, today is an equipping day to empower us and equip us for the good work. Amen. When you study and read your Bible, it's not just for survival mode. It's for productivity in God's kingdom. Could have get a better amen. And God wants us to be busy about the good work that he has for us. In fact, I, I was amazed at, at this theme. If you want to slip over, to, I didn't tell you to go there, but I'm going to go there. Titus. Let me throw out a few verses for you in reference to the good work. Titus 1, 16. He says this right here. He says, uh, uh, they profess to know God, speaking of some ungodly people, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified from every good work. I don't want to be disqualified. I want to be busy about the Father's business, doing the work of the Lord. Then in chapter 2, verse 7, he tells us, In all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works for others to follow after. In fact, I, off the top of my head, I reminded of what Jesus said about being the light of the world and being the salt of the earth. What does he say? The others will see our good what? Works and they'll glorify our Father in heaven. And so the evidence of our life and following after Christ ought to be the good work that he has for us. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 8, he keeps after it. He says this, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain, say it, good works. And then even in verse 14, he hits it again. And let all, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Listen, I've, I've read a little bit of the Bible when it comes to being productive and fruitful. How many of you know God, there's consequences for an unfruitful life? 
And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the workmanship. I want to talk to you about our purpose. I want to kind of lay it out for you. And if you're in Matthew 24, if you turn there, I want you to go there, Matthew 24 and 25. I'm going to give you kind of the context. How many of you know the context is important? Matthew 24, the disciples ask Jesus two big questions. He says this. He says, uh, they, they ask this, what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now, the reason they ask that is because they're walking through town, if you will. And he said, all these buildings, not one stone is going to be left on another. And they began to realize, oh, he's talking about future things. He's talking about the, the, the signs of the times. And they says, well, when's it going to be? And you know the story in Matthew 24. He, he begins to talk about some of the signs of the times. And when things began to happen, don't be deceived. Don't be discouraged. Don't worry. These things are going to happen. Then he talks about the great tribulation and, and, and all the, the issues and the circumstances of that, of that day, of the last days. Then he, and then he begins to talk about parables, but he's laying this foundation in their life and they're getting all frothed up, if you will, about the end of days. But then he says, listen, no one knows the time, only the season. Not even the angels know when Jesus is coming back. Or when the end of the age. And so he tells them all about the signs of the end and the end of the age. But, he, but then he says, in fact, let me show it to you in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he says this, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then we'll stop right there. And so he's talked to them all about this, the signs of the end and the end of the age. And then he says, but let me tell you where you need to be in all of this. What should be your posture in this season that I just described to you? What should be your position? Where should you land in the middle of all of this? Then he begins to teach them where you and I as believers should be in the age that we live in. And he says, he basically begins to teach them that we should be good stewards of the work that he has put into our care. And it's everywhere. It's in the parables. In fact, verse 45 of chapter 24, he talks about the faithful and the wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household. He begins to teach them that the responsibility that we have in these last days are to be busy about the work of the Lord and not get lackadaisical with the purpose of God over our life. In fact, Chapter 25, he kind of uh, hits it again with the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. And I don't have time to go through all these parables, but they're all teaching that we must be busy and ready and prepared and involved in the work of the Lord for our life. And then in verse 14, he hits it again in the parable of the talents. You know the story how the, the, the master of the house left and he put, he, he took three of his servants and he gave them each some, some money. One he gave, we'll call it $5,000. The other he gave $2,000. The other he gave $1,000. You know the story. And when he came back, uh, the faithful servant said, Hey, I've turned your 5000 into 10000 He said, Well, that's well done. You've been faithful over another man's. Hey, enter on into the joy of the Lord. The one that had 2,000, he turned it into 4,000. He got the same blessing. But the one who had 1,000, he said, oh, I was afraid. And I just buried it and you can have it back. And in all those parables and all this teaching, what he's teaching us as his kingdom co-laborers is that we must be good stewards in the good work that God has for us. That's what I want to talk to you about today. In fact, in Matthew 24 and 25, I've seen at least four characteristics, if you will, of a good steward who is faithful in the good work that God has for them. Let me show them to you quickly, and then I'm going to give you the, the motivation behind all that we are to be doing as good stewards of the work that God has for us. The first characteristic I see of these good stewards that Jesus is teaching his disciples and us to be is that they've got to be a watchful worker. Everyone say a watchful worker. Look at Matthew 24, verse 42. 
What did he say after he said two, uh, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Look what he says in verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Everyone say watch therefore. In fact, the word watch means to keep awake. In fact, just in case some of you are a little tired this morning, <laughs> look at your neighbor and say, hey, wake up. Come on. I saw some of the kids coming in this morning. Look like they stayed up all night. They're kind of, hopefully they liven them up back there. But he's, he says, you've got to stay awake. You don't know when the, the hour when your Lord is coming. You've got to be awake spiritually. You've got to be a watchful worker. In fact, look in Matthew 25, verse 13. He hits the same thing again about the, the, the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. You know, remember five were not prepared and five were prepared. Look what he says to us. Here's the application of the story. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You see, because we don't know, we've got to be prepared at all times. In fact, one of the old hymns says, this could be the dawning of that grand and glorious day. Amen? It really could. And so a characteristic of a good steward who is a good steward of the work of the Lord is a watchful worker. The second aspect, uh, our second characteristic of a good steward of the work of the Lord is a ready worker. We're always to be ready. Look at Matthew 24, 44. Therefore you also be what? Come on, somebody say it. Therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That word ready means to be prepared, to be adjusted, to be, uh, it really it almost has a, a physically slash spiritually fit kind of mindset. We've got to be ready. Somebody say, get ready, get ready, get ready. We've got to be ready. A watchful worker and a ready worker, these are characteristics of a faithful steward or of a, of a good steward who is busy about the good work of the Lord. Amen. In fact, last week we talked about the game changers. I don't know how many of you were here last week. We talked about redeeming the time for the days are evil because we don't know what day might be a game changer kind of day. One day I can promise you this. Jesus will come again. And guess what? That'll be a game changer. All the things that we worked for, it'll be time then to step on into the goodness of the Lord. As the Bible says here in these parables and in these stories, there's always benefits for being a watchful worker and a ready worker. And then the third characteristic that I see in these parables that Jesus is teaching us in order for us to be busy about the Father's business and be a good steward of the good work that he has for us. Number three, we've got to be a faithful worker. Matthew 24, verse 45 through 51, it talks about being un, the unfaithful steward and the unfaithful one and the consequences for being unfaithful. And we've got to realize that God is looking for a faithful servant. In the parable of the talents, he said, well done, good and what? faithful servant you've been faithful over a few things i will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of your lord most of you know i've been going to a leadership conference every year in dallas in plano and the the man who puts it on is named gerald brooks and he's just kind of a leadership guru he's kind of unassuming guy man i have learned to enjoy and love this guy he said this about people the work of the lord he said most don't want a calling they want a timeshare. Just show up every once in a while and be beneficiaries of the blessings of God and not step into the call of God to be a real good steward of the work and the time that he's given us. God's looking for watchful workers, for ready workers, for faithful workers. And then, of course, all that is for the fourth characteristic, and that is this, a productive worker. Someone that produces harvest and someone who produces product for the one who created them. And go back to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. He says, you are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece for we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created you. Listen, he designed you not to take up space. 
I've always said this. If we didn't have a purpose on planet Earth, there'd be two preachers. One you'd like and one you wouldn't like. The first one to get you born again. The second one just shoot you and send you on to glory because you're not worth anything to anybody. Just get him on to heaven. God's looking for, in this last hour especially, good stewards of the good work. Watchful workers. People who are not falling asleep spiritually. People who are not being lulled to sleep. And deceived. In fact, if you go back to Matthew 24, when they asked the two big questions, the first thing Jesus said, well, let me just make one thing very clear. The first thing you need to do is don't let anybody deceive you. I want to bring some clarity. In fact, if you were back in 88, you, you heard about the book, the 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in maybe 1988, I don't know. And it didn't work, so he, in 89, well, it was 89 reasons Jesus didn't come back. And how many of you know, when you get people putting a, di- a time, a date, and a place on the return of Jesus Christ, you know they're not, they don't know what they're talking about because Jesus said nobody knows. Look at your neighbor and say, nobody knows. Therefore, and you know what? If, if we knew, we'd just wait till that day and then jump up, start getting busy. How many of you know if you knew the president were coming or somebody important coming to your house, you wouldn't wait till 10 minutes before he showed up to pick up the, the junk out from around the recliner? Hello? You'd be ready. And so God's looking for watchful workers, people who aren't asleep, people who are ready. They're fit. They're prepared for the business that God has for them. Faithful people who stick by the stuff and who work the work of the Lord and people who are productive for him. In fact, uh, we'll talk about this in a moment, but understand this. There, there is benefits for being a good steward and there are consequences for not. Are you with me? Say amen. I love what Gerald Brooks said about the principles of work. I think we all need to adhere to this. And there, here they are. The first principle of good work or the wor- of work is show up. Now, when you understand Christian culture today, that's where you got to begin. In fact, statistics show that, that uh, most people who would consider them faithful members of a local church, they're only showing up about 43% of them on any given Sunday. So we got some work to do, right? Did you hear what I just said? And across the board, people who would consider themselves as faithful members of a local church in America, they're only showing up about 43% of the time. Okay? That, and, and so the, uh, we've got work to do about people who just show up. Everybody say show up. Now, some people, when they show up, they think all oh, heaven ought to, you know, da, 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 da. they showed up. You know, how many of you know there's more to it than that? Like, give me your name, there's more to it than just showing up. I've, and I've actually heard people say, well, I was there last Sunday. Well, give yourself a brownie star. You showed up. He said, show up. And then number two, after you show up, he says this, you got to show up on time. I know some of you never come back after that one right there. I'm, it's just Gerald Brooks. It's not me. I, I, I'm just quoting him. And then he says, number three, show up prepared. Now, I've seen where people show up and they show up on time, but they don't show up prepared. Now, let me just say one thing about your pastor. He very rarely ever does that. If you know me, you know the habit of my life. If I'm going to show up, I'm going to show up prepared. And then Gerald says this, show up prepared. And then number four, show up to do your best. Now we're getting somewhere. And then number five, show up to do your best and do it for Jesus. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, do it for Jesus. That's what, hey, and when you get those principles working in your life and you begin to posture yourself as a watchful worker, someone who's not spiritually asleep, someone who's ready and prepared, someone who's faithful, someone who has begun to be productive in the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, God's blessings will come upon you and begin to overtake you in many different areas of your life. And everybody said, amen. Now, let's shift gears just a little. Those are the characteristics that I see that Jesus was trying to teach us when he teaches disciples when they were talking about. How many of you know when you ask Jesus a question, you're going to get more than you bargained for? 
You know what the Jesus, what, pardon me, you know what the disciples wanted to know? Dates and times. Jesus gave them much more than they bargained for. He didn't give them dates and times. He gave them signs and seasons because he didn't want us to be unawares. We'll know the season and he talked about all those things. And, you know, he talked about wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of issues, things that we see already, pestilences and earthquakes, the beginning of sorrows and on and on. But then he says, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. He's beginning to hit the real important issue of their questions. He begins to talk about the reason for the good work and the motivation we have. And in Matthew 24 and 25, I see at least five motivations that ought to move us as good stewards. How many of you want to be a good steward? How many of you want to be a good steward of the good work? I don't know about you, but I've, and I just want to say how much I appreciate the fact that a parable is a life lesson wrapped up in a story that you have to be very careful not to build theological doctrine around. It's just a life overarching life lesson. In other words, the parable of the, of the, the talents, the overarching lesson is God requires us to be productive for him, right? But when you read the unproductive what happened to the guy who said, I was just afraid and I just hit it and I'll bring it back. You know, there were things, let me just throw out a few descriptives. Uh, oh, uh, outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. How many of you appreciate that was just a parable? <laughs> I am. But this morning, I want you to understand that if we're going to be a good steward and we're going to be a faithful steward, we're going to be a watchful worker, a ready worker, a faithful and a productive worker, we've got to catch a hold of the motivation that, God, that, that is behind all of this directive from God. And good stewards are motivated and moved to action in the good work because they know some things. And here's what I see in these two chapters. The first one, they know that Jesus was trying to get into their system and their understanding about being a good steward and, and being watchful and ready and busy about the Father's business and being productive for Him. The first one, the first thing He was trying to tell them that would motivate them to the good work, and it is this, Jesus is coming. Everyone say, Jesus is coming. In fact, let me just say, he could come today. Look at, look at somebody said, Jesus could come back today. Tell him he could come back today. And that's what Jesus was teaching. He said, I'm not going to give you a date and a time, but I will tell you this. I am coming again. He's coming back to planet earth. And he's going to take us home to be with him. Somebody say amen. Now, that's a great motivator to be busy about the father's business. That Jesus is coming again. That's what these stories are about. The unfaithful steward. He didn't know his servant. He didn't think, hey, the servant, the master's coming back. I'm just going to just have a, a blast and do what I want to. And evidently he had his head in the proverbial sand. And the consequences of his stupidity came upon him. Because he was not a good and a faithful and a wise steward. He did not plug into the reality that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when he will come. So we must be ready. We must be prepared. We must be productive. We must be all the things that a good steward is. Amen. Jesus is coming back. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore you be also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 13, chapter 25. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the son of man is coming. Somebody say the son of man is coming. Look in verse 31, chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. I came to tell you all the way from Lumberton, Texas this morning, I came to tell you that Jesus is coming back. And that ought to motivate us to good works and to plug into how God created us. Amen. You're not here just to sit soaking Sour. That's a motivator. Jesus is coming. In fact, remember when Jesus rose from the dead 
And then he spent 40 days in intensive training with his disciples, Acts chapter 1. And then the resurrected Christ there in Acts chapter 1, after he gave them to commission to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You remember that? And you know what happened after he did that? You got to get the picture. They're out there, and all of a sudden, uh, I wish I had a trumpet. Whatever. And Jesus began to ascend to heaven. Now, that really happened, by the way. Look at your neighbor. That, that really happened. That's not a fairy tale. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, 40 days after his resurrection, basically, give or take a few days, he ascends into heaven. Now, if I had have been there, and if you'd have been there, here's the way we would have all looked. And if Gomer Pilate had been there, he would have said... Shazam. And while all the disciples were gazing into heaven, overwhelmed, they just came out of a 40-day intensive end times training seminar, and now the, 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 the lead teacher, the Lord of glory, has ascended to heaven, uh, and, and they're just saying, that's the way a lot of Christians are today, by the way. Yeah. These two angels show up and say, why, why are you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who you saw ascend to heaven, he's coming back. And basically what he's saying, now get plugged into the prophetic word that he's called you to do, that he wants you to do. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus is coming back. Tell three people Jesus is coming back. Tell them, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Oh, we need to live like Jesus is coming back. We need to be busy about the Father's business like Jesus is coming back. Amen. Good stewards are motivated and moved to action into the good work because they know Jesus is coming back. Number two, they're motivated to action because also the clock is ticking. The end times clock is ticking. And without going into detail, we're living in the end times. The, de the definition of the end times, we're in the middle of it. We, the end times have already begun. We're living in the end of days. Somebody say end of days. I, 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 could, I could show that to you uh, biblically later. But, you know, hey, in fact, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they quote Joel, uh, this is that. In the last days, I will sh pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This is that. Somebody say this is that. We're living in the last days. Somebody say last days. And if you want to get off into Daniel a little bit, there's a, there's a gap of time when God pauses his, his prophetic time clock of the 490 years. And it's a pause button of undetermined time. Like Jesus said, nobody knows the hour of the time. It's like the prophetic clock stopped while the church goes to, about the business of doing the good work. And nobody knows when he'll turn that clock of sand back over and the tick-tock begins again. But we know our time on planet Earth and our opportunity to do the work is limited. No one knows the hour of the day, but guess what? The clock is ticking for us. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 9, verse 4. He said, I must work the works of him who's called me, for the time is coming when no man can work. What's he saying? We have a limited amount of time. Our clock is ticking. We do not know how much time we have left on planet earth to do the good work before we stand before him in a given account. That's why we were talking last week, Ephesians 5.18, redeeming the time for the days are evil, making most of the opportunity that God has given you. Time is a precious commodity. And believe you me, I once was young and now I'm old, er, and it's going by at breakneck speed. In fact, even though I'm a little crippled up and I got this and that, I still in my head think I'm young. The other day, I don't want to give you the big picture, but I was looking in the mirror, I'm going, you are an old chubby man. <laughs> and you are a well-worn old chubby man. The clock is ticking. 
good stewards of the good work, they know they're motivated by the reality that Jesus is coming and the clock is ticking. And number three, they're moved and motivated to action because they know this, the temporal always affects the eternal. The temporal always affects the eternal. Let me explain it to you. Matthew 25, verse 21. Look what, look what Jesus said. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He says, Because you were faithful over the temporal things, I'm going to put you over eternal things. There's other passages of scripture uh, where Jesus talked about this. Unless you're faithful in the little things, I can't get, make it, help you to be faithful over the, over the more eternal weighty things uh, that, that I have for you. And, and people who are good stewards of the good work that God has for them, they know everything they do on planet earth affects something in eternity. In fact, Bruce Wilkinson, uh, a great author, you know, he wrote The Prayer of Jabez. He also wrote the, the book, A Life God Rewards. And the subtitle is this, Why Everything You Do Today Matters Forever. Why Everything You Do Today Matters Forever. What was he saying? The temporal, temporary life that you and I live affects you in eternity. People who are good stewards of the good work, they know that what they're doing on planet earth affects them and others for all eternity or what they're not doing is affecting others for all eternity. The motivation of our life ought to be Jesus is coming, the clock is ticking and the temporal, my life, this temporary place that I'm at in this life is affecting me for all eternity and affecting others for all eternity. In fact, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, or pardon me, 2 Corinthians 4. He said this about even the negative things of life. He said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, this temporary life, the pains, the sorrows, the troubles, the tribulations, God has a way of working them out that will help me and be a blessing. How I respond in this life affects me for all eternity. Are you getting the picture? In fact, David Shibley wrote a book. I'll tell you about it in a moment. It's, it's, it's about heaven. But it, he talks about the fact that we've got to live for heaven's sake. Amen? So good stewards of the good work are motivated. They're moved to action by the reality that Jesus is coming and the clock is ticking and the temporal affects the eternal. They realize that, hey, there's consequences and benefits. You read all, those, all the stories, all the parables, there were consequences for those who were unfaithful, right? There's benefits to those who are faithful. And we've got to understand that. That ought to move us and motivate us that this life will affect us and others for all eternity. Which leads us to number four. The fourth motivation of a good steward and a, a worker of the good work is not only that Jesus is coming and the clock is ticking and the temporal affects the eternal, but they know and we should know accounts will be settled. We will give an account before God for how we lived our life on planet earth. Did you know that? Look what Jesus said about the, the one who, uh, the, when the, 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 the master came back home in the parable of the talents. Look what he said in verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. It's time to Settle up. It's time to give an account of how you lived your life on planet earth. And understand this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me give you some good news. That sounds kind of ominous, does it not? Everyone say, frow your, your, your brow just a little bit and look at your neighbor and say, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, take the, take the frow off because that's not, that should not scare you. It should motivate you. In fact, there's two judgments. 
One you don't want to be a part of and one you do want to be a part of. You don't want to be a part of the great white throne judgment. That's reserved for those who have refused Christ in this life. We'll allude to it in a moment. The judgment seat of Christ. In fact, the word judgment seat, it's the, the Greek is bema, B-E-M-A. And it gives the picture of an award ceremony for a life well lived on planet earth. And we, on some level, all of us, will give an account of how we live life on planet Earth. And the Bible says there is a reward for a life well lived on planet Earth. In fact, what did Peter say? He said, my time is about, pardon me, uh, Paul said uh, in 2 Peter chapter 4 or 5, he said, I'm about out of here. My race has been run. I fought a good fight. And guess what? There's laid up for me a crown of rejoicing, a crown of righteousness. There are rewards for a life well lived. But we will all give an account. We'll stand before God. Listen, this is going to happen. This is not a fairy tale. We will all, as his children, stand before him and give an account of the life we lived on planet earth and see if we were good and faithful, watchful and ready and productive for him. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful steward. You see, those who are good stewards of the good work, they're motivated because of the reality of Jesus coming. They're motivated to action because they know the clock is ticking. They're motivated to action because they know that the temporal always impacts and affects the eternal. And they're motivated with the reality that they will one day stand before God and give an account for the life they lived on planet earth. I mentioned David Shibley's book, who was our missionary of the week, by the way. He wrote a a relatively new book. It's titled Living as if Heaven Matters. And he, along with I, have a serious concern about where people are when it, when it comes to eternity. And he said this in this book. He said, genuine success cannot be measured by earthly acclaim or possessions, but only in a well done from Jesus. When you come before him and you bring all your goods and all, in fact, he says this in the book, a hundred years from now, what will, it, what will it have mattered? When you think of where you are now and you fast forward a hundred years, what will it matter if you, if you gained all this world's goods and lost your own soul? In a hundred years from now, what will it matter if you climb the corporate ladder? And I'm not saying you shouldn't because you can serve God climbing the corporate ladder. But if the motivation of our life is all about here and now and we miss the eternal perspective, what does it really matter? All that ultimately matters is what we hear from heaven on that day when accounts will be settled. That ought to motivate you folks because we will give an account. And then finally today, those who are good stewards of the good work, everybody say it's a good work. What are good stewards? They're watchful workers, they're ready workers, they're faithful workers, they're productive workers. What motivates them? I said they're motivated by Jesus' coming. They're motivated by the reality that the clock is ticking. They're motivated by the reality that the temporal always impacts and affects the eternal. And they're, they're motivated and moved to action by the reality that accounts will be settled. And also finally, and as we'll see, Jesus so very clearly taught his disciples and us in Matthew 24 and 25. They're motivated by the reality that heaven and hell are both very real. Though I read the little book, I don't need a little boy to tell me heaven is real. Because my Bible tells me heaven is real. In fact, if you look at these parables, the two of them, the foolish and the wise virgins in the parable of the talents, he begins them both like this. The kingdom of heaven is likened to. Everyone say the kingdom of heaven. 
He's trying to connect the disciples with eternity. They were disconnected. Listen carefully. Hey, you're going to hear this from me over and over again, especially in this coming year. The, The disciples were disconnected from eternity. In fact, when Jesus began to tell them that he was going to leave in John 14, they got all shook up inside. They didn't understand. They thought he was going to build his kingdom on earth. And they said, we're, we're, we don't know where you're going. And, and, and all they just began to just fret about their life on planet earth. And Jesus in John 14, 1 through verse 3, I think he says, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again. Somebody say, he's coming again. He said, I'm coming again and I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What's he trying to connect his disciples to? The the reality that life on planet earth is terminal and eternity is forever and ever in heaven. Amen. I'm sorry I'm getting worked up about heaven. But our society, our Christian culture, listen, is disconnected from eternity. We're living life like this is it. Get all you can and can the rest. And we've disconnected. Now, let me read to you a quote from a man by the name of E.M. Bounds. Anyone ever read any of E.M. Bounds' materials? Now, E.M. Bounds lived, he was born in 1835, and he died in 1913. And if you want some great reading and some great, he's got a book on the power of prayer that will rock your world. Everyone say E.M. Bounds. Listen to what he said either in the early 1900s or the late 1800s. Listen carefully. He said, these are materialized and materializing times. Materialized times always exalt the earthly and degrade the heavenly. Now, I've got to start over because you need to get this. Now, this is the early, the late 1800s, early 1900s. These are materialized and materializing times. Materialized times always exalt the earthly and degrade the heavenly. That's what's happening in our culture today. He was prophetic. And then he says, true Christianity always diminishes the earthly and augments the heavenly. If God's watchmen, now that's where we're talking about today. If God's watchmen are not brave, diligent, and sleepless, Christianity will catch the contagion of our times And think little of and struggle less for heaven. What did he say? He said, if we're not careful, if we're not watchful, if we're not, if we fall asleep spiritually, Christianity will catch the contagion of our times and think little of and struggle less for heaven. Listen to me today. The church has caught the contagion of this life. And we're struggling less. We're struggling more for the temporal things and less for heaven. We have been infected by the, by the benefits of a temporal, ungodly, and terminal generation. We think little of and struggle less for heaven. The good workers, the watchful workers, the ready workers, the faithful workers, the productive workers. They know heaven is real. They know life on planet earth is terminal. But Jesus took it a little further as he closed out this teaching session about being a faithful worker. He let them know hell was real too. 
Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. You know what he's saying? You didn't work the work. You caught the contagion of your time. And you didn't think about eternity and you didn't think about the, the souls of men who are on their way to a devil's hell. You didn't think about your own soul. And they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Heaven ought to motivate us. Hell should, ought to motiv- should really ought to motivate us to realize there's a world without Christ that people are on their way to a devil's hell as we speak and listen carefully listen carefully without Christ our families our friends and even our foes will be cursed, as Jesus said, into an everlasting fire. Surely that would motivate us to embrace the calling of God on our life and our created purpose. We are His masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's stand together today. As we come to the close of this service, may it be the beginning of a whole new day for all of us. A day when we begin to embrace our created purpose. Bow your head before God. Let's pray this prayer together.